everybody. It's Nico, and this is X's for Show, the show where we bring you fandom reactions to all of your favorite content. You guys can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XNateXGrayX. Which for me leaves Kevo, and you can find me on the socials at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And okay, so we're usually like, look at my polished background and uh, very organized to a fault <laughs> in how we're doing these things. But uh, this weekend, we happen to be away at the amazing Asbury Park, uh, staying at the one and only Asbury legend Empress Hotel, celebrating our uh, incredible partner and uh, show contributor and co-creator, Jonah's birthday. So with all of that life stuff going on, it kind of seemed like we wouldn't be able to have like a normal broadcast, but we decided that instead of not doing a broadcast at all, we would try something a little bit new, something a little bit more relaxed, something with a little bit of shouting, I guess, <laughs> and uh, make this thing happen anyway. And I could not be more excited than to do it with these two guys. We're just chilling in a hotel room on the Jersey Shore, feeling a lot of passion about uh, The Mandalorian and Picard and... You know, I think I just didn't want to wait anymore to talk about it. I know you guys didn't either. I know we couldn't just keep doing it over drinks and dinner. So it felt important to come sit down and do it with all of you. Absolutely. And for a week of reunions and wild new formats for uh, tried and true old things, uh, you know, it's a good time for it. So one of the big things that for me is uh, pretty front and center of this conversation is the reimagining of the Star Wars and Star Trek brands as verifiable media powerhouses. And I think it's always so funny because I remember watching the Toys That Made Us, and I just want to give the Toys That Made Us, you know, a really big 200%, you know, super shout, because one of the things that it gave us was information that I feel like really made the whole media picture comes together for me a little bit better when i heard that basically all the star trek toys ever sold less than any one movie of star wars it really put into perspective not which fandom was more popular but what these fandoms were intended to be star wars toys are meant to be an element of childhood star trek toys are action figures and realistic props and if we were home right now i would have my tricorder uh i would maybe have some other starfleet gear going on but end of the day i think star wars and star trek have really come a long way and have entered the cultural vernacular of legitimacy and i think we are in a time where our generation specifically is growing up and not letting go of childish things. We are choosing to continue to engage with the fandoms that we loved as kids that were designed to be for kids. You know, when you talk about the toys that made us, a lot of these things remained popular because there was sellability in the, the merchandising. If, if that wasn't there, people aren't necessarily as interested in continuing to make the product that sells the merchandise. That's where the really good money is. So we bought all that as kids, but we loved the stories. 
and we continue to want the stories. And, you know, whenever we talk about Star Trek, I always think about the infamous clip of Freddie Prince Jr. talking about, uh, you know, what happened with Star Wars and why Star Wars fans are so harsh. Uh, and, you know, he talks about how uh, they're movies for kids and, uh, you know, the originals were movies for kids and the, the prequel trilogy were for another generation of kids and the sequel trilogy is for a different generation of kids. And you're just upset because the franchise didn't grow up with you. And while largely I do agree with what he's saying, what's really amazing is uh, as time has gone on and, you know, properties have changed hands and storytellers have been able to stake their living in these franchises, they actually have started to grow up with us a bunch. Uh, you know, a lot of the products are still very child-friendly uh, and accessible to a lot of uh, age groups. But I think Mandalorian especially is a very good example of a product that grew up the, fr the franchise giving something that grew up with the, the young people that found it. And similarly, I mean, I think Picard grows up, you know, Picard takes us into the retirement level of that same thing, uh, which I so appreciate. Yeah. And I think something that helps a lot of these franchises too is that it feels that they were always created with the intention of being for adults and for kids from different angles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, TNG was aimed at our parents and something that was intended for them to be able to share with us. And so it obviously now that as we have grown up, it's something that we still love. It's something that we still want to see more of. And a lot of people want to see an evolution of want to see more, want to see whatever is going to come next. And which is why. I'm thrilled that we're. Oh man, that's a, yeah. I got a little. You want me to go shut that out? <laughs> we might need to work. We might need to, you know, adjust I, the light. Oh, we're like, we're all doing it. Tell um, is gonna make a leap. <laughs> you know, we're live on location. Get into it, baby. Uh, this, this is what it is. Oh, I'm working on it. No, that one's that one's not plugged. Oh, so, <laughs> so. The thing I love the most about these two shows, and yet I think have the hardest time with is uh oh, oh, now you're an angel uh, um here i'll what i'll do is crack the light open or the window open from a place that's not as uh direct i love everything that's happening right now okay i'm gonna talk while they're doing this mandalorian revisits something that so many of us hoped to see revisited and at the same time i think one of the things that it also offers us is a chance to do it a little bit new new by virtue of reimagining because one of the things that makes me love the mandalorian the most is the technology doesn't feel particularly new there's nothing that's so visually unbelievable about the mandalorian that i could not imagine it coming from lucasfilm in the past whereas I think Picard, it maybe had a little bit more growing up to do. And so I'm glad it did it. And I think that's been a mixed bag for both franchises. I think there are times where uh, Star Trek has really sort of sleekened in a way that feels at pace with how culture in a present day has evolved. And the two feel very in sync. 
But there are times where, you know, Star Trek really feels like it's behind where our imaginations are in present time. And similarly, you know, in it's always just, it's so weird having grown up and grown through the era where George Lucas was like, I have access to so much new technology. I'm going to tweak these films in every single way possible. And there's just so much CGI that for me, a lot of it doesn't really work. I don't really understand where he's going with the vision. I so appreciate that he was like, this is my baby and I'm going to do whatever I want to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate an artist who is going to do, you know, who is regardless of what fandom thinks is going to do the thing that they think is right. You know, even when we don't agree, the Mandalorian represents such a fascinating return to the roots of things like practical effects. And, you know, yeah. I mean, Grogu being such a fantastic example of, uh, a living entity that is a puppet rather than a CGI thing. And, you know, it just, it's, it's very special. Now, Kevin, I know that growing up, you weren't a Star Trek guy at all. You were just a Star Wars guy. Uh, growing up, I was a bit of both, kind of more of a Trekkie. Uh, uh, TK, which, you know, were you one more than the other? Kind of splitsies? Exactly splitsies right down the middle. Uh, yeah. Thank you. And they came right around the same time. What's really funny is I was a big sci-fi uh, and fantasy kid uh, from a very young age. But for some reason, Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, just all I would see were the commercials for it. And they creeped me out. I don't know why. I just couldn't get no, into it. No, I get it. it. I and that. Star Wars, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand why there were three movies, but the numbers weren't right. Um, and so weird. It really bothered me. And one day I remember very, these things happened the same year. It was when I was in fifth grade. Uh, for Star Wars, I was, I had to stay home sick from school. My mother was a huge Star Wars person and she bought the videos. Uh, this was before the uh, George Lucas remake. So these were the, this was the original release of the trilogy, but she bought the videos and she sat me down. She was like, you're, you were home from school all day. You got nothing to do. Watch A New Hope. And I instantly was just absolutely in love. And I think because of that, I kind of reevaluated my priorities when it came to pushing stuff away that I didn't understand or thought was weird. And I started picking up Star Trek VHSs. And, you know, that was such a funny time because you there was so much stuff that you didn't have access to uh, except for on VHS. And, you know, to own every episode of Star Trek on VHS was an insane time. Uh, so I was just kind of like getting one or two wherever I could. Uh, but what I really fell in love with was Voyager. That That's my show through and through. I love you talking about the VHSs and the whole process of your discovery and the confusion. Because, yeah, there really was this confusion, especially for when you're a freaking kid. Uh, in the 90s, you don't understand it being episode four. And there's adults, no internet. You, I mean, you just barely there was internet. But, but yeah, exactly. Until we were a certain age. And by that point, you know, the prequels were coming out. And so all these things were pretty established and well-known. So you understood. Um, but especially when we were like in kindergarten or whatever, we had no idea what uh, was going on. And it was this um, epic seeming thing. And... <clears throat> Because of the nature of what Star Wars was like at that time and that age and for us growing up, it's 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 that that it perplexes me so much when people are like, Star Wars is so much more confusing now. 
<laughs> you got, and you've got the full numbering. You've, you've got, got one through nine. You've got all these things that make it really actually easy. Wikipedia. There's a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of it is usually like fairly accessible. There's especially shows they try to put in tags or nods. You know, they want you to enjoy it. They want to be able to pull you in. And, um, but, you know, at the time, I remember those Star Trek commercials for WPIX for uh, Sunday afternoons. And um, Star Trek always seemed very scary and dangerous. And uh, they had the dramatic interstitials for when they would go to commercial where it'd be the, the stinger and the show logo of the show. It was it was such an event. And I found it very intimidating as a child um not like insulting toward it like but like that's how elevated it yeah seemed. you just didn't get it yeah it, it seemed like it would be far too above me and i didn't have a star trek parent like you did <laughs> sorry okay <clears throat> um and you know i want to set the page a little bit for how you got those vhs's for the most part not you per se mm -hmm. but the average person yeah, it was through like the columbia random house you bought them in a series you got the next one the next month you got two a month that's four episodes there's 200 episodes that's four years of buying then there's the 66 of the original then there's deep space nine then there's voyager and then you know dvd sets came out and sort of destroyed the cassette by cassette market but before there was the internet and like you know even even kids today like, I mean, even literal children-ish today, when they're in their 30s, they're going to be able to say, before the internet was the way it is now, you know, especially with the onset of, you know, AI bots and the upcoming onset of the AGI revolution, hello overlords. Um, I feel like one of the things that gets lost is the access to canon as a kid was status and it was actually financial that's one of the reasons that so many nerd spaces are often considered white spaces because let me tell you how many of my incredible blurred friends will tell you uh they, that blackness includes nerddom and it's that having access to multiple vhs collections and having access to kind of the space to store old comics those were exclusionary things and the idea that you, even if you weren't a member of a minority where the world was sort of designed to make that exclusionary against you, you still had the, I was nigh. How did I, you know, I borrowed my, I borrowed, like my, I copied my dad's tapes. Like, you know, he had them, he had the Star Trek tapes that he borrowed from my uncle and uh, he copied them, uh, you know, not to put anybody on blast. I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations on that has run, but I... Fred Rogers wanted us to do it. It's fine. Yeah. So, you know, we had the whole set of the original and the next gen, and it was kind of status. It was kind of like something I could point to, whereas like, I've seen these all, I know it, but that wasn't because I did it. That was because I lucked into it. And I think the modern age of Star Wars and Star Trek is about both satisfying that need for the classic fan and further enamoring the new fan with 
cutting edge ideas. And that's, I think, what these two series, three seasons in, uh, both sorts of reflections of the past, both do. And, I, you know, Picard especially gives us something so interesting because it is a follow-up to a primarily episodic television show with very few serial elements. Overall, over the course of its seven seasons, nine seasons? Seven, seven seasons. Um, you know, there is a very, very nebulous meta plot involving Q and Picard. And there are a few season to season and, you know, maybe revisited multiple seasons uh, plots that give us an idea of what is happening in the wider world. But other than that, each episode is a discrete unit with a discrete beginning, middle, and end story that if you did not catch it the previous week, you are completely fine to watch the next one and you would you, you would be you would know everything that you needed to know uh, five minutes in. And to have a follow-up that is entirely serial in which you absolutely must have seen the previous episode and almost yeah. certainly season uh, in order to really get what's happening is maybe not quite unique, but it is rare to have shows that, you know, follow up with their serial, with their episodic property with such a tight serial format. And I think it's one of the things that I was so focused on throughout watching the show, and especially in the third season, which is picking up on thematically so much stuff from Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, it's it really is complicated and fascinating it felt to me in so many ways especially when you know we started picard and you know the pandemic hit and you know so many other things were distracting and so we never finished the first season and then we came back to it and we watched you know all of one and two into three and one of the things that really struck me is that it very much felt like a decrim uh a decompressed film mm -hmm. um I, I i too much of the air was let out though i think is part of the huge issue with it because it's not like it was multiple films across a television season it was one film each season super decompressed into 10 episodes and even if it had just been two movies per season, like two five-episode halves or arcs or something, but it, especially when each season is so disconnected from each one, uh, that's a lot to ask of your audience. Especially because, like, there are definitely two movies worth of content. They're interwoven, though. There's not, like, a stop at five episodes and then kind of a jump into a new one. So you actually have exactly what you're saying in terms of content already written. It's just the kind of division of it that is, uh, you know, it, it, it's not that it totally doesn't work, but I think you're right. It is... Uh, not a traditional television show and it's not a movie and it's not really even a hybrid of the two it is very much as you said a decompressed movie but you know maybe a little too decompressed yeah i see that and then every season was stealth the borg and like i love the borg i love uh, a lot of their early stories i love what they did with locutus i love what the borg 
did with transforming the other Star Trek shows. I love Flabber. Flabber is a great part of the Borg mythos. And I think that the biggest problem here is that I wasn't looking to get stealthed by this show over and over again. And more than just (laughs) bait and switched this season. Mm. Yeah, I was was Borg and switched because, which is not just a German disease, but I really thought that I was going to, so like, okay, first season, it's, you know, um, vaguely android gods. Android gods, yeah. Which, frankly, as you were saying, all this, it's the Borg, it's the Borg. That could turn out to be future god Borg. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I do, you know, I give them some credit insofar as the Borg were a really important element because they're a really important part of Picard's journey. Yeah. But they were an element. They were not uh, quite the bait and switch that happens in seasons two and three. But that season firmly establishes like, oh, you know, the Borg are really important to Picard's mythos. And we haven't forgotten about that. Mm -hmm. Season two picks up on that and gives us a really solid Borg storyline that says like, we told you we knew they were really important to Picard. Here's how we can take that someplace new. And here's how we can maybe have a development that isn't just the same. The Borg have returned, scarier than ever. Well, the Borg come in and they're like, hit me with your best shot. And they just want to save the world because hell is for children. And um, love is a battlefield. We belong. Um, All all songs that should have been uh, sung by a cast member at some point. I would love to hear. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, Gerardi doing We Belong could have been, you know, just them singing once an episode would have been really great. Oh, you know Disco's going to do a musical their last season. I would love to see it. Season three really follows up on season two following up on the Borg and goes, no, we need to do one more. The Borg are back and they're scarier than ever. And we did a cute Borg story. We need to do a real Borg story. And it's a bummer because it actually is a great Borg story. uh, And it makes a ton of sense. But because we got this Jurati evolution of the idea of the Borg and a way of moving beyond the idea that they are just... mindless killers you know we uh we talk a lot about x-men stuff here and there is some really uh interesting and sometimes very vitriolic discourse going on right now about the brood as just kind of mindless killers and whether it's okay to just want them completely dead uh and just to eradicate them and i think there's a similar discourse been happening throughout star trek's canon about the borg and i felt season two really gave us some solid ideas for moving past that. Uh, And then season three pulled us really right back into it uh, in a way that while I loved the story and the action and the intrigue and the references back to old stuff and Alice Krieg's voice being back in the mix, it just forgot about the work that it had done (laughs) a year ago. I wonder then if part of the intention of this season was to try and close that big red door on what the Borg had been. Uh, we never finished Voyager, so I don't know a ton of, of, of the end there. I've now read just a little bit. Um, but 
you know, that was now 25 years ago. And so I wonder if they wanted to, and maybe it's a little bit needless, especially if you're going to be evolving the concept, you don't need to bring back the old one to say, we're not going to bring back the old one. But I wonder if that was even... <laughs> that's the perfect way to put it, though. I, I feel like that's what they were trying to do, because they... Something that we noted as we were binging Picard was, as we kept getting to new episodes, it felt like we were getting apologies for old episodes, in a way. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that insulting so much as responding to feedback. Like, Riker and Troy were so glib and so blithe in their season one Picard episode. And I'm sure the intention of that is, look how happy your favorite characters are because this might be the only season you'll never see them again. But then they get a lot of feedback of, you killed their son and they're just, they're just making pizza. <laughs> well, and if I can, and I don't mean this like, means, I mean this constructive because season three is by far my favorite. Yeah, me too. But there's stuff about season one and two's inclusions of earlier characters that feels a little bit a high school production of Master of the House. Okay. Like kind awesome. of giving everybody some peas and carrots yeah. to do. Which and is funny because season three is like so hardcore fan servicey. It's like, don't worry, you're getting everybody. But that feels more right than don't worry, we didn't forget to include them. There's this almost like a Sondheim and like, oh me off been waiting for the eggs from the chicken and the cabbage. Yeah, like here on it's, the <laughs> it is so. It, exactly. This is this for the rest of the yeah, episode. So this, this is it. Um, yeah, no, but I get you. It's it's a lot more dragging out the corpse to be like, look, I'm still alive, and I showed up, and you're welcome. But like, you get a similar format of appearance from Ensign Row, and yet it is one of the most staggeringly beautiful, heartbreaking challenging moments of season three. Her. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked her back in the day, but I that, that she and Picard had that moment was so beautiful and important. Uh, we got a lot of characters that had about that much screen time in seasons one and two, uh, like including Wesley. Um, so the Ensign Row appearance in season three is a perfection of an apology for the previous versions of that sort of appearance on Picard. So yeah. everything is sort of, we learned and we're sorry. And we can't do any more of this, so we got to get it as right as we, we possibly can now. We can't fix the one that we did, but we can do this. And we just like making new things. And just keep watching. You know, to return to something you mentioned earlier, like you guys didn't watch the end of Voyager, but like, Borqueen, your beef is with Janeway. <laughs> Uh, I know you needed Picard for the genes, but, like, you're yelling at him like he was the one who did, like, who took you guys out. And it's 100% Janeway, who, it's just uh, a tragedy. You know, we're talking a lot about the negative things. I think it's one of those things where, like, because the positive is just so much of it, and I don't want to do that thing where I'm like, and I like this, and I like this, and I like because so it's basically all of it. But uh, the lack of Janeway is another big thing. I really missed her. I know she's in Prodigy. It's a very big hole right now. I'm currently standing over on Prodigy, where you can come find me training the young staff that have tomorrow. That's two accents we've had so far, guys. Uh, it would be great if I were given an opportunity to do every Starfleet cap. Jake! Jake, it would be important for Quark! It's, that's the that's the word. That's the word for Cisco. Yeah. So we need Star Trek Cisco, and we need Star Trek Janeway. We need these shows, especially if you're not... And also, you're going to give us the changelings and not a single DS9 person. 
Uh, hey, it's me, Archer. It's why I really want to get to lower decks because I know you do get a lot. There is, there's literally basically an entire DS9 episode. Uh, I know that there are certain other very significant characters that definitely appear on lower decks. I I know that it's a little bit like canon tangent, but it's still it's kind of you get the cathartic experience of like I get to watch something that can poke fun at the thing that I am myself kind of poking fun at because they are making these silly choices. Can we call that tangential? Tangential, I love it. Tangential, but yeah. I'm over. I'm over. So now let's uh let's talk about the uh, the sexy beast and uh in the room and let's talk about um, his problems with a lot of the time problems here. So I'm the sexy beast and my problems are with octogenarian pregnancy, septuagenarian, um, eighty year old, thirty year olds. Um, first of all, the actor that plays Jack Crusher is a stunning man who is yes. enormously talented. Hey, in great casting. Incredible casting and phenomenal resemblance and capacity to emote. Great casting on talent and even great casting on playing the child of those two actors. Truly. But that is not a 23-year-old man. No, that's a 35-year-old man who yes. looks beautiful and like the age is born gorgeously in his face. And yeah. maybe he could get away with... 30. And some of it's not even anything like an insult, but when you're that tall, when you reach a certain age, unless you have a literal baby face, you 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 can't really play a child like that. And for every inch taller you are, you need six more goat placentas. And I, I just think that, yeah, he just didn't look like a young kid like part of it the part of the big thing is like he he's a little bit uh half baked because he has done nothing but be on the run with his mom and that makes him a fun rake and scoundrel but the whole part of the show is uh you know it's not even necessarily that he was missing a father because you can become an amazing person without a father it's that because this was his father and they were specifically trying to miss him so that uh his train wreck of a life wouldn't affect them the, the way that we the way that you, you kind of hope that your child will and there is an innocent quality to somebody like that who is still in their early 20s and their fontanelle hasn't closed yet and and which is like a point of the show so it's not yeah, even so crazy right. to say that um and this dude does not have that he is set he is a man he knows where he is going in life and so the times when he's like i don't know how to connect to people it's like it kind of feels like you know exactly how to connect to people uh and that's a great quality to have you're a beautiful man who seems like you really can uh express empathy but that is not the character description on the call sheet for jack crusher and especially if a huge part of the intention of their casting is keeping in mind having this man be a leading Starfleet character going forward. Um, you know, you can forgive a lot because I, I, I do want to see more of Jack Crusher. I yep. want to see more of exactly that bridge that we saw. And so I, I can't be too mad at it. It's just, it's the same thing as, uh, he's, what is he, 96 years old as how old the card is now? 
Oh yeah, it's something like he's he's too old. Uh, and so he was seventy three years old. Yeah. when Jack was conceived. And if Picard is the same age as Jack Crusher Senior, then Beverly is the same. Yeah, age. she can't be that much younger. That's so a really fair point. It's really kind of rough on the ages, but. All said, I like what Jack offers. I think Sydney LaForge offers uh, just as much. She is a wealth of fantastic idea, fantastic ideas, and she was excellently performed. Uh, I just really think that one of the things that Picard did was it got me excited about another generation. The cast of Disco took me a minute to fall in love with. The cast of Strange New Worlds came pre-loved in many ways. Yeah. This was the first cast where I was like, you know, this is new characters, but okay, uh, they have my attention. And this is another kind of first for us with Star Trek. This is the first time we're getting a field test of a cast in something else. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, if it turns out, oh, they have no chemistry, nobody liked any of these characters, this isn't going to work, people hated seeing Seven in the captain's chair, it was just the end of a card, and that's that that they are getting such a solid response and people are really ready to have that moment with seven of nine uh people are not ready to let go of raffi we just got introduced to the literal next generation of the next generation and i think we loved what we saw I, you know we did despite our problems with jack's age i think we we both we all made very clear that we loved the character Sydney was great. Uh, the other sister, Ilya, real daughter, real daughter. Real daughter. So Sydney um, and real daughter, real daughter. Uh, really great. And if I have another minor quibble complaint, it is that their relationship was depicted kind of weird, uh, and just for how emotional the show was, I thought the two sisters might have a little bit more of an engaging interaction. We got time for that on another show, uh, but like. Alexander uh, Roshenko could be in the mix in the future. Um, we've got a lot of options for the kids of the next generation. And I thought that they set it up in a way that I really appreciate. I, thought, I felt it was fun. And it made me excited for the possibility of another show without feeling like... Uh, they're really trying to sell it to me. Like, you know, I, I, I gotta buy it. Otherwise they're, you know, somebody's gonna be in trouble at the studio. Yeah, it, it felt just like a nice little gift or a little window into something special rather than specifically being like, we're trying to backdoor pilot lists. Uh, I found it very interesting that I read Terry Metalis had specifically considered the renaming of the ship to be Picard instead of Enterprise, which is one of the ones that I thought it would be. As soon as they revealed it, I was like, oh, they're going to change the name of Titan to Enterprise. Only because uh, I, I expected that if we were going to see another Enterprise, it would be an entirely new ship because they like to blow people's yeah. minds with Enterprises. Uh, and so that was a, an odd moment. I didn't, not a bad one, uh, because I liked the idea that like the crew and the audience maybe fell in love with the Titans yeah. journey so much that it could only be the new Enterprise. Uh, but it was just, uh, I thought it would be the Picard and I thought that we would then get a reveal of the Enterprise G as like, uh, you know, a sphere. And the Paseg. I 
mind because like part of why i've been thinking they might recursion a picard is then that does give us an entry point to having a picard season four that is yeah. not focused on uh patrick stewart because i think one of the things we've discussed is part of the issue with what comes next is what do we call it and when you name the ship the enterprise we already had a star trek enterprise yep so and you know the the title that's getting batted around the internet is Legacy, uh, which is great. Uh, <laughs> you're still having this. Uh, the the title that we have now is Legacy, which um, I think is cool. Um, one that has been previously suggested is what? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, he's fine. Um, the new generation. The nude generation. The nude generation. So who needs uniforms anymore? Just give me the pits and a little communicator badge. The naked now generation. Uh, Keep your scrim. I'm going for skin. Yeah, the new generation, which I also don't hate, but it becomes like one of the big questions coming out of all this is like, where are we going now? And, you know, I guess we're going back to Disco for one more season. Yep. We're going to Strange New Worlds for just one more time. Two or three more seasons. We're going back to Lower Decks, Prodigy. Uh, there is the upcoming Disco Era Starfleet Academy show coming up, which I'm excited about. I'm kind of hoping it'll start Tilly, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but... I feel as though Star Trek has something right now that it rarely has, which is creative capital. Star Trek has people on its side. And that is not something Star Trek often has. Star Trek usually does not have your benefit of the doubt. And that it does right now speaks volumes about the hard work these creators have put in the last few years. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Um, you know, after several bad films, and Enterprise. And then the reboot through J.J. Abrams. I don't think people were thinking Star Trek. There's a franchise that's been churning out high-quality, thought-provoking sci-fi the last 10 years. Especially because of the odd direction that Star Trek took through the J. Abrams verse being a tangent universe. Like... If I can spoil the yeah, Jabram films, which by now I don't think it's been six, seven films since the last one, that's where Spock dies. Not random Spock, the original Spock. It's something as we were watching Strange New Worlds that I turned to him and I was like, What's insane? Ethan Peck's Spock is Leonard Nimoy's Spock, who will go off and live to go into the J.J. Abrams verse timeline, and that's where he dies. And that's just so strange, and this is, you know, it makes, so many things have made Star Trek such a hard sell, especially this side of the millennium. And so to have been given this chance and to have soared the way it has. I, okay, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. And it's, it's funny because it has been a very incremental shift. I think, um, you know, Discovery originally kind of worried me. The thing I that I've I said to both of you a hundred times is like, what I'm really looking for is the next show about 
what the you know present day Star Trek, so the the start of the 25th century with a crew on a ship. Uh, so like the format of Voyager of the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine is a space station, but you know same thing. It's the crew in space uh, in the most current part of the timeline. I want that show, and we've been getting uh, you know some really great stuff that happens in the past that has the aesthetics of our conception of the future now, which to me is a little bit difficult, but I feel like they made it work. Um, and there's some future jumping in that, but it's not quite what I'm talking about. Uh, but they've been kind of branching out and touching various ideas. And Picard to me feels like a really solid step on writing the shit to give us uh, present continuity Star Trek stories that harken back to all of the political intrigue and the meta plot that we all grew up with that we just got in these little bits and pieces at a time where TV was almost entirely episodic. It was very rare to have serial television. Uh, but now that's what we expect from most dramas and especially most sci-fi and fantasy dramas. We expect really high-minded season to multi-season plots yeah. uh you know not being lost. able to exactly lost her intelligence <laughs> completely uh but i think you know having the present continuity star trek lost is basically what i'm foaming at the mouth for and i feel as though they've done a good job of experimenting and figuring out how to do it that i feel like they're so primed right now well, I know we're going to be talking more Star Trek when we talk Brand New World, Lower Decks, Prodigy. So, did you guys have any final thoughts for now on Picard before we come back to talk more Picard? I feel like Data Lore was not my favorite uh, resolution, but it was good. It just felt like sudden. Uh, it just felt like... We were so interested in getting through so many great storylines, like uh, Return to War for Return to Riker and Troy, that so much of it boiled down to really strong one-liners, and there is a ton of room to see all of those characters come back and get their stories more explored. I think it was my favorite use of Brent Spiner in all of the card, though, so there's at least that part. I still don't know how I feel about it. I love the story um, for, you know, what it gave us in having a whole Data, a Data who achieved the goal that he really wanted. Yeah. I, uh, unfortunately, was watching Mandalorian at the exact same time, and so got a conception of a character being CGI youthified in a way that works so perfectly that all I wanted then was just do that to Brent Spiner and Data, bring us the android that is unaging back, uh, because that's kind of the point, it's kind of the whole thing. I thought they had a really good explanation for why he aged. Uh, I shouldn't say a really good explanation, but like they clearly thought of it. It and functioned. It functioned. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there was an internal logic to it. Um, I just, I think the way to go would have been to CGI the situation and maybe just uh, Paramount, Viacom, not willing to spend Disney budgets on their CGI. But uh, 
that was the one thing that I was just like, I, I maybe am a little spoiled and I'm going to be a brat about this. But I really loved the story. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think that Data is the one character that can't ever have a show. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, I love my androids and my droids. So he's the one that I want it most for. But, you know, I I was so happy to see Marina Sturgis back. I was so happy to see Gates McFadden back. The women of Star Trek are truly unsung and underloved. They came from a time where there was such a focus on uh, male characters and female characters were to be sex objects. Jerry Ryan is another uh, really important example of that. Um, the, that all of these characters have continued to grow with the franchise and have been able to continue working to a point where we have moved the dial a little bit. You know, we are still woefully uh, not meeting the mark, but all three of those women, and women like Raffi and the LaForge daughters, all got to be functioning members of the plot and of Star Trek in Star Trek uniforms or just standard clothing which like that's a win compared to where we were in the 90s sure. jumpsuit that troy had to wear on the bridge for like how many seasons like a jazzercise instructor and there's even that one where they're doing the jazzercise in the hallway uh and then you know of course when we finally got troy in a uh starfleet uniform she crashes the ship and then that becomes the giant punchline uh that they then had to remedy with her piloting to go get uh the the crew that's dealing with the board to prove that she can fly the ship and do the thing which is again another moment of like uh it's kind of like the a-force thing where like yeah. i loved it and i don't think there's anything wrong with it but i immediately was like some jerk is gonna get online like, and be like she can't pilot the ship this is why i'm like she shouldn't be able to do that and do but no, that was that was one of those moments that I just absolutely lived for. Or like that reflective moment where it's Jordy, Worf, and Data sitting on the bridge, and it's Rafi and Seven and the two LaForge girls on the screen. And yep. it's, it's meant to be reflective, but you know someone's like, they never stand like that. And women. And people just constantly forget they're watching art. Yeah. You know, that's exhausting. Uh, you know, because I feel like a lot of people uh, really shit on Shaw, who was hot and really well-performed and uh, a really great compliment to this cast. Everybody can't be a cowboy. That's just madness. Some people need to be like the rule follower, because if everybody's a cowboy, you can't make the show. So some people need to be a little bit more like the Boy Scout. And Shaw's a big, burly Boy Scout. And you don't see a lot of big, burly Boy Scouts. Big and burly is usually, I can't be stopped, I've got a deep voice. And instead he was kind of like, I play by the rules so that everybody survives. I can't be stopped, I'm going to tell on you. Because uh, it's bad it's boy like, for life. You know, and I think one of the moments that really epitomizes Shaw for me in that regard, where he is a Boy Scout, but he's not like whiny or weedy or evil or malignant. Uh, and we could call Starfleet on Seven and Riker and Picard. He's like, you guys just did something heroic, so I'm going to give you a minute to get your fucking story together. But I still 
called you up on disciplinary action because you're insane. These are the rules. Yeah, he's actually a really fantastic character uh, because you do encounter that thing, like more than it's not believable that Troy can fly the ship. It's not believable that these people break the rules this much. And, and nobody slaps them on the wrist. Right. And that, you know, that's such a part of the, the next generation. So like, we got to let that go. We can't go back and fix that. To bring this character in who specifically is like, I'm trying to have a boring day. I'm not trying to do adventures. And for them to not quite know how to respond to it, but it's not hammy or any kind of like, uh, you know, they're not trying to do like a lethal weapon four where they're like, we're in for one more. Like Picard is generally having a dilemma with what to do because he actually does need to break the rules and figure out the situation. But Shaw is absolutely right. Shaw is not being so overtly hostile that you hate him or think he's being unreasonable. But of course, because we love Picard, we want Picard to succeed. And that is a very tense push and pull that a lot of writers rooms and a lot of productions just simply haven't managed to get right because the easier thing is to make Definitely. the guys over the top or the other dude villainous yep. so that you can move forward but to end the season or to end the story with i think everybody falling in love with shaw a little bit and never once uh losing faith entirely in picard i think there are moments where we're like oh this is rough i don't quite know rough. what to do with you uh but we're always rooting for him and it never becoming Shaw becomes one of them, and yes. he's like, "Yeah, I'm a cowboy now." Yep. Even in that last episode that he's in, when they're saying we have to go to the heart of Starfleet and make this announcement, and Shaw's like, "Of course we do," and but he doesn't fight them. He listens and he believes, but he's not the kind of person who wants to be the cavalry. He wants to bring everyone home safe. And, you know, and he, his final moments are doing that because his goal is not to be such a rule follower that the rules are always followed. His goal to be is to be a rule follower so that everybody is safe. And when it comes to a moment where violence is enacted, that safety is still the thing that is important to him. And he puts his life on the line for the safety of his crew. Uh, and that's such a beautiful motivation. And from a writing perspective, it's really fantastic that they kept up with that. Yes. And that they made it always about the safety of the crew and not about, you know, like, he just is really boring. Yeah. Because that's the easiest way out to just even passively villainize him with unsavory characteristics. But, you know, one of the things that this show strove to do for three seasons uh, and occasionally at its own detriment was create characters that were more mysterious than they were necessarily ever clear. And I think they think mystery equals fascinating character in a lot of cases. Cause like, I still don't know who Rafi is in a lot of ways. I still don't know who Rios was. Oh my God. At all. Oh, Rios. And like, I love ah, these characters. Ah, yeah, yeah. Rafi is great, but like, there's like Rafi, this woman, just this, this badass woman. And I'm like, I want to know her story. If she's just this badass woman, then her story is fascinating enough to tell me. So, and I don't mean like prove she's cool. I mean, no, you already proved she's cool. Tell me about her. Rafi is a character that they constantly failed when she was on her own. When she was with other characters, she was always fantastic. She always played other, she always played off of other people well. Um, and had her own strengths in those as well. But when she was on her own in early season three, it was 
all over the place, not even just wheat, but all over the place. I, one of the things I love about Rafi, um, it, when, you know, I, and this is kind of in a lot of ways speaks to your point, when war finally shows up and you realize that Rafi is a grandmother that is being treated like a child by a paternal figure that is really having to get her to grow up yeah. because something is missing. Um, it really speaks to like, you know, Picard ends with let Picard ended leaving me feeling like this was not their last act. Any of the enterprise D crew, this was not their last act. They've got years of work and adventure and doing stuff and having fulfilling lives in front of them. And what's so funny is we always go back to like, uh, and the golden girls Blanche is like 48. Yeah. And she's like, must move in with these ladies before I die. This is before I go to die. Um, and just that whole, you know, their late 40s, like the oldest, Sophia is 66? Is that? Sophia is like 70 something. Okay. Um, which is like how old Gates McFadden is now. Yeah. And Sophia is like, you know, any day now she'll die. And then, you know, and, but like none of these characters by the end of Picard feel like this was their last act. Despite the fact that the show sews everything up very well, um, I left it feeling like, man, jordy has got so much more teaching to do and so much more, you know, showing the world what Starfleet is. Gates as, or uh, Crusher as an admiral doing medical work will do great things. Picard actually really does feel like he wants to just take a nap, uh, but I don't think he can. <laughs> uh, but meanwhile, Rafi's a grandmother. Like, even if she's a young grandmother, she is an older woman. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she still has so much learning to do, uh, going all the way back to the beginning, this idea of like the show's growing up with us. It was really refreshing to see this character that, is childlike in the face of someone with so much knowledge and experience that being worth. Um, and that just overall as a theme of the show was kind of the only thing that made it okay for me that, as you said, the scenes for her are wildly uneven, which I don't think is entirely intentional. Do these eye drugs, but it works out. <laughs> it works out. And there's some intentionality to the idea that she is wildly uneven, uh, which, you know, I, I, now this is why I want the Star Trek legacy show, because we now could have the time to actually see what she is like on a more even keel. I think it'll mostly be a matter of uh, how much the chatter for it keeps up. And it yeah. sounds like it's it it's up. going. It is. We're here for it, so. Well, all right, guys. We're still doing this all sorts of new climbing yeah. over beds to do windows. Yeah. So I think we should throw a commercial. Okay. Come back. Start our Star Trek Star Wars, Wars conversation. Our Star Trek wrap-up Star Wars conversation. And then uh, bring in our super cool special guest. And uh, so... I guess uh, please stay tuned, click like, uh, click subscribe, and uh, hang around because we're going to uh, start to use the force on you, but not in a way that you would need to call the police. In like a really cool, kind way. Because of the implications. Oh, man. So welcome back to a very special edition of X's for Show. X's for Sure as we are hanging out down in Asbury Park, New Jersey. That's right, Bruce Springsteen's one and only. And uh, we are here enjoying an incredible weekend uh, early on in the shore season. And we still have a, a show to make. Gosh darn it, we have a responsibility 
to our feelings because uh, if we don't bring these fifis out, they're gonna dobson on up, and it's just gonna take us away. Uh, nailed that. Um. So I. Oh. <laughs> okay. So uh, we are now here to talk the other star uh, magic in our lives. We're here to talk Star Wars. Uh, as a kid, I always felt like I would be a Jedi. Like, um, of a lot of like the magical f fantasy things you could be. I love Power Rangers. I didn't think I was a Power Ranger. I talked about feeling like connected to Jason last episode, but I didn't talk about like, wow, I am a Jason. I said, I want to have those feelings. I feel like I sort of, as a kid, felt like what I thought a Jedi was, that was me. But what I now know a Jedi was all along, I masturbate way too much to be a Jedi. You're Not far too attached to yeah. D. Way too attached. Oh. You're a different kind of Jedi. You're not the kind of Jedi that are the Jedi that fell. I'm so. like a great Jedi. Jedi. I am a Jedi. Yeah, you're a Tracy Morgan Jedi. There you go. So, okay. All right. So, Jedi, Sith, Mandalorian, uh, droid. Uh, droid. Droid. Okay. Okay. Sorry, you know, now that we have them, I'm one of the mods. Uh, okay. You know, I those did not exist before. Yeah. Those, uh, man, I mean, that's a Book of Boba Fett thing, so we won't get too into oh, it. Oh, Book but, of Boba Fett. Uh, Underrated. You know, I, I, am, I am a cool kid on a rainbow colored, in a rainbow colored scooter gang with uh, <laughs> droid parts that I got from a sketchy dude in a bar slash tattoo parlor. You can see the work of Anne Nascenti. Yes. In every line of that. All right, Kevo, Sith, Jedi, Droid, uh, non-specific Gungan. Grogu. Grogu. Yeah, you are. We heard yeah, here first. Grogu. My little Grogu. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 No. Yes. 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 Taking food. Getting angry and hitting things. Yep. I am Grogu. I'm waiting for the queen that comes out in a little Grogu IG costume. Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Saving him. Princess right? Poppy, do it. So, oh my God, yeah, right? Oh, Lucy, hey, Lucy. I think that I make the most sense to play Grogu because I look the youngest. I'm a baby. <laughs> I win the most awards. So, um, all the challenges. So anyway, uh, enough Lucy slander because I love her so much. I just love doing my Lucy impression. We have somebody we need to hear uh, <laughs> from and hear if they'd be a Jedi, a Sith, uh, a well-manicured Wookiee. Shall we? Shall. Yeah, we shall. We shall. We shall. Stop right clicking. There we go. There you go. Hey! hey. Andrew! Hi! Hi, folks. Greetings. May Here's the Force be with you. May the Force be with you as well. Okay, where can everybody find you and what would you be? Uh, you can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, while it still stands. Uh, <laughs> and I'll give you the brief answer. I'm a Twi'lek bred for pleasure, but born to fight. I was liberated by a Mandalorian and adopted by them before becoming a Jedi and then my inevitable turn to Dark Jedi. So where can I read your fanfic? <laughs> It's in my head, and I'm working on getting that out. 
but you should be helpful. I love it already. After that uh, gorgeously pectoral uh, Twi'lek in Book of Boba Fett, Thank I just, I, what you're describing is exactly up my alley. Those head tails. Perfection. Sexy. Sexy. Yeah. Helps you channel the force too. Truly. And you know, there's something about like the freedom of expression because like, and I mean this with love, when I watch Star Trek, uh, Frankie are just ugly people. <laughs> and when I watch Star Trek, uh, Vulcans are just weird looking people. And, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until you get to like, you know, it's an energy being made of star tissue. You know, that's got its own fucking problem. But when I watch Star Wars, I escape in the creatures, in the designs, and I don't know that any creature or design came to life for me this year like the Mother Muffin Mythosaur. There was something so incredible about like being confronted with this idea of magic and gods that I thought was only reserved for the Clone Wars and at all. So what did you guys think? Mythosaur or Mythosaur Busters? That's another sect of Mandalorian. <laughs> Grant Imahara is there, and he's ready to prove that kyber crystals can bend in the middle. I I appreciate the Mythosaur. I appreciate that we just got glimpses of it. It was not like a full-on, you know, we're, we're saving that until maybe some other day, or maybe we never have to see it fully. Um, yeah. More than that, though, I enjoyed the myths from Clone Wars that have come to life in, in real life. Uh, you know, action. And there's so many of them, right? I mean, Bo-Katan, right? Just like, let's start there and and get into that and like how prior to this, the only Mandalorians we ever had were really Jango Fett, Boba Fett. That was it, right? That that was that was it. Clone Wars gave us so what a much list more. of winners. Ah. Well, I'm not here to defend them, but I will. Um, and Clone Wars gave us so much more. And now Mandalorian, I feel like it's legitimizing so much of that. And it's like bringing it to, you know, to the forest, like canon, Disney canon, which feels and really cool. I give Book of Boba Fett some credit for kind of revisiting the idea of Django and Boba as Mandalorians and showing a strong connection and tie. But, you know, Boba really specifically says he is not a Mandalorian. And, right. you know, he's sort of like the the person that excommunicates themselves from the church and then remembers sort of some of the community that they had and which, why. Is, which is cool because that speaks to the Boba Fett that we always saw. He was just a right. loner and, a, you know, so it works for me. And the casting, I mean, casting Django Fett as Boba Fett, like, and I'm a that, sucker That amazing stuff. Madonna accent of his <laughs> where he just sort of walks around space being like, have you seen my armor? And like, are you going to say no? Just give the man any armor you find and hope he doesn't notice on your way out the door, cop man. Speaking of armor, can we talk about this uh, Imperial Mandalorian dark trooper? Oh my, oh my gosh. Melange, like again, so talk extra. about Clone Wars. The thing is like, if if you're a diehard that watched Clone Wars that you, you gave Filoni, you get so much more I out of the show. I do love a Filoni film. Uh, yeah. But if 
you aren't familiar, then you can just still jump in and it's just like pure Star Wars. It's such a fun show. I think it's very accessible. Order 66 and, and a half. And I'm a little half and half because I loved Order the 69. original Clone Wars, the, the Gendy Karakowski Club Wars, uh, Clone Wars. Oh, and then we covered our... the Gendy for like five hours one time. I made everybody sit there and do it. It's I love it so much. It's so beautiful. So and good. I did really love the the main Clone Wars series, but I didn't watch all of it and I forgot a lot of it. Um, and good. this sort of reminded me of everything. And it was one of those, like, I started fact checking and I was like, oh yeah, this is completely on point. This is yeah. like solid mythos in every way. Like if, if, you, if you didn't know, uh, that Pax Vizsla, the guy that, you know, that died yeah. in the, in the yeah. ultimate, like, if you know nothing, you felt that scene. But when you know that Pax Vizsla is part of Clan Vizsla and Pre Vizsla is like, like it's just like, it's a gold nugget that just makes a character reverberate in a way that I don't, I don't think it's easy to replicate, right? Because there's like a stratosphere of of Star Wars lore, and things go from the books to animated to you know the big screen to live. Like there's this growth and everything is kind of like a remix of the things that have come before it in a, in an interesting way and uh yeah the whole plan Vizsla thing then commandeering a fucking star destroyer and spray painting the stop like what come on that is that is absolutely the way you ride the whip and i have to till the wheels come to... off and you crash it into moff gideon's crib come off so i am i am compelled to ask a question to, to all of the guys and Kevo, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you. Um, one of the things that I'm really obsessed with about this season of uh, Mandalorian is the fact that this is the first time that I felt like there actually were two leads. It wasn't just Mandalorian and some peeps. I really felt like Bo Katan really like co-led the show. One of the things I love about her is I think she is a religious zealot. She just has nothing to zeal over. So she just kind of rages and seethes. And I truly believe there is this sort of sense of you can reform the idea of what made you who you are that sort of runs through the, the modern storytelling. Like with Ray, you are not a Palpatine, you are a Skywalker. Bo-Katan, you are not one of those Mandalorians, you're one of these Mandalorians. How do you feel about the old new is new is old era of Star Wars of now. I very much feel like Bo-Katan is a, a zealot who very hard lost her faith and was searching for something to believe in and was very jaded and was very, you have to prove it to me, you must show it to me. And Mandalore was like, Fuck you, and we're going to show you. And she's like... <laughs> court me <laughs> i didn't expect that i still want to say no <laughs> and uh you know one of the things about this season is that a lot of people were very suspicious of the armor and i think it's just because she is a very dry very arch person and i don't think it comes across any more than in the final scene of the season when she's like well 
You would need the baby's parents, wouldn't you? Hmm. <laughs> it really blows, Peter. It reframes so many other things she had said for me throughout these past three seasons, where she's like, "Hmm, well, aren't you the special one?" <laughs> and having her be on Bo-Katan's side uh, was so important. And another step in her having to be like, "Bye." You know, she wanted to feel sorry for herself forever, I think. And I feel like that in a lot of ways is very representative of a lot of Star Wars fandom where life, Star Wars, multimedia, so many things didn't really turn out the way you thought they would. And you <laughs> just want to sulk and pout and you don't care that this Mandalorian show is really good. And Grogu isn't just cute, he's actually a really compelling and strong character that you root for and want to see grow. Yes. Ooh. Yes, and fight, and, and yes, no, yes. no. Yes, yes, yes. But they're gonna shove a mythosaur in your face and say, do you really not believe in this? They're gonna dare you not to believe in what they are building. And I'm here for it, I believe it. I think Grogu has the potential to become one of the greatest Star Wars characters. I think we're like we're just at the beginning of of, uh, yep. of his arc and you know a Mandalorian that's born of Yoda's unnamed race and has Jedi power like it's he's just he's he's a let, let him cook let them keep cooking because I think Grogu's yeah. an amazing amazing character and he's that rare, you know, we had mentioned it in a previous episode um, uh, about Jeff the Shark, right? Like sometimes these cute things don't really work and sometimes they hit. And, and Grogu's yeah. that rare exception where it hits and turns out to be potentially so much more than just cute. And I think, you know, Bo and Grogu as the show is The Mandalorian, and especially in the first few episodes of the first season, you really get the vibe that, like, that is all this show can be, is the story of this one dude, and that maybe that's kind of limiting. And the way that it expands to be about what it means to be a Mandalorian, the Mandalorian as a definition and an archetype that applies to all of these people, and so now that it can apply to all of them, Let's fold them into the story. And I think the two people that benefit the most from that are Bo and Grogu. But then, like, all the way on the other side of the spectrum, you do have uh, Moff Gideon as, like, someone who is trying to be a Mandalorian uh, and sort of to uh, appropriate the culture and uh, to bastardize it and, you know, is punished accordingly. Exploit it. Um, Exactly. Borrow some genetics from some little just, green you know, babies. Just steal some baby right? blood. He's, he's like literally the Mr. Sinister of the Star Wars yeah. universe right now, and I'm here for it. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, and I want to get into uh, into Moff Gideon, actually, for a little bit, because a lot happened in this one episode, like from destroying the, the, the Black Saber or the, you know, to clones and him revealing that he was growing his little army of the best of him and trying to tap into harnessing the force like that's a big development you know to have floating around i don't know if anybody caught it but in the in the previous episode he's having a little you know um video zoom with other imperial 
and one of them is, is Hux, Admiral Hux. And yeah, you mentioned yeah. that Hux is uh, obsessed the with... Of, yeah. Right, and he said, you're obsessed with cloning. You're the one obsessed with cloning. So it's like, again, like taking the, the, the opportunity to like put connective tissue from one thing to the next and like doing it in a cool way. Um, I think we have not seen the end of Moff Gideon. In my notes, I actually wrote Darth Gideon because, yeah. hear me out, what if one of those clones was able to harness the force and yeah. perhaps came to life because it was in a vat of boiling embryonic fluid and was able to survive and or what if those weren't the only clones? Yeah. Or what if they weren't the only clones? What if like the prime one gets activated upon his stuff? There's but we so watched Moff much... Gideon get Gus fringed right off the board. Right, but... He got fringed. Fringed That's, hard. That just leads fringed. me further to believe that there is a clone. I... Completely. I don't, I don't know that I believe he succeeded in finding a way to clone force abilities into someone yet. I don't believe you did it, Bob. I believe... I have probably... done it! Sure you did, Giddy. Sure you <laughs> I love that he's trying, and I was gobsmacked, because um, I thought it was so cool. I don't think he did it. I could see it being one of those things where he, he either it seems like he has access to the Force, but it like burns out the body, or right. you know he does, but it comes at some kind of great cost. Uh, well, very that's, that's the, the price of the Dark Force, right? Or Ooh, the Dark yeah, Side of the Force. Very serious. Like, yeah, very serious. You come out a little disfigured from it, you know. A nice little yellow eye moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I'm but great with those. Oh my gosh! But nothing else needs to happen with it. This really could. I mean, it shouldn't be. And I'm with everybody wanting there to be more because uh, Giancarlo Esposito is, I think, one of the finest actors of his generation. I do think Gus Fring is quite literally the most frightening thing I've ever seen on television. I love him all the time. He's very good with a terrible character on Once Upon a Time, but all this needed to do was make the cloning of Palpatine possible. Right. And so. now that happened right after Palpatine's death. So recent Palpatine death can now benefit from, I almost said Frank clones, from Moff Gideon cloning uh, so that it can make revenge of J.J. Abrams not appreciating what was done to his movie possible. And Pal Oh, well, and I, I think that we we knew a lot about cloning from the expanded universe, which these movies have said, you know, are not canon at all, but we're also pulling in elements. Like, we get a lot of Thrawn references in Mandalorian, and I'm excited to see those finally pan out. But, you know, cloning was a huge part of uh, the expanded universe in terms of, like, cloning, the cloning of Palpatine and the cloning of Mater Gear, not just, like, Clone Wars stuff. Um, but when we got to... Snoke is like some kind of clone abomination puppet that they were just using. It all felt like, but that's just kind of out of nowhere. What does that even, where did that come from? And this is kind of doing some retro, it's not even retconning, but it's like retro filling in of the details that then when you see that this stuff is happening in uh, the ninth Star Trek movie, it feels less like, oh, geez, this really is just kind of a grab for whatever plot detail, details you can get your hands on. And, you know, in some ways it's that the sequels were messy. In some ways it's that Star Wars movies are always messy. Yeah. And in some ways it's that the galaxy is just so expansive that how do you shove this whole long backstory of, like, yeah, that guy is 
the later redhead's dad and what he's doing right now is starting the process of i have your solution do you knock knock do you have a moment to speak about the good work of our lord and savior darth plagueis the wise because <laughs> that was my that was my poll for who was snoke right because that yes. would have just tied back to episode three it's just enough and you can be you can you can justify it away you can, i mean whatever you can hand wave that and it would have worked and whether or not you saw those movies or whatever it would have just he would have been the emperor character and he would have been uniquely positioned to take that role right it, it something like that would have been so cool and making him some disfigured clone was um botched and misguided at best completely agree I also wonder if like Darth Plagueis is like a plague, like if he's now that need for like, if you know, is this dark current in the Sith that there can only ever be two and they always have to look like a fucked up sneaker and like, I wonder if Darth Maul is a biter, a biter. Yes, he likes hey. to bite, he likes to maul things just like, okay. I'm attracted to Ray Park, so I'm into yeah, it. Yeah, Ray Park's great. I'm Ray into Park's it too. Uh, you know what happens to a Darth Maul when he's struck by lightning? It doesn't matter because he'll just get a cybernetic body and he's just never going to be dead. So it doesn't matter. Don't act shocked. Um, <laughs> I, mean, uh, I want to I go back to one thing that TK mentioned about how the Mandalorian started off as being about, um, about just Mando and, and Din and how it has expanded so much. I think it was really necessary for it to start like that because yeah. our whole concept of a Mandalorian and the Mandalorian armor to that point is the loner bounty hunter, whether it's yeah. Django or Boba, right? So that was the only in that was going to make sense to anybody on Earth, right? It, it, there couldn't have really been another way um, for, for, I mean, for me anyways, to, to have really bought into Din and, and his story. And then for it to start off that tight and then just keep expanding. And now we have like a reunified Mandalorian culture back on Amazing. Mandalore. I mean, it's pretty tremendous what the show has accomplished in three short seasons. And one of the things that I'm so excited for is I feel like by giving us this whole other group of people that are not the Jedi, but that have a whole culture that we can yeah. get into and identify with. It makes me really look forward to this next series of Star Wars films um, because, you know, it will have been decades in the future from where we are now in Mandalorian. Uh, you know, I have really high hopes for Grogu appearances in these, in these next movies. Um, but I have always been a little wary of the the film's ability to move past the idea of the Jedi um, and Mando did the work yeah. to make me believe that the Star Wars universe can move past it and you know that we can have a force user that is not a Sith or a Jedi or is trying to figure out like light or dark but is belongs it's not a Sith it's not a Jedi it's a baby it's just a baby um, bad baby, baby that no squeezing Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I'm very excited for 
having this group to follow and identify with in future big Star Wars projects. Similarly, like I, I just love some of the work that they've done with droids. Truly. Um, oh, stars. yes. Can we can we have a, a, a quick intermission on just droid history? Because, yeah. okay, let's talk about IG-11, right? Who we saw, you know, very gallantly uh, sacrifice himself earlier in in this series come back now as grogu's freaking walking suit yes 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 yes, yes absolute yes. gold but if you take it a step be before that the reason ig11 was instantly so iconic is because he's basically ig88 the same kind of yeah. model and look and that very kind of one of those classic star wars designs yeah. Uh, that right away it was like, okay, no, this isn't that one, the bounty hunter that never even said a word in the movie. He's just like standing there for a second and he, you know, becomes one of the iconic characters of the whole franchise. Standing next to Boba, prime, prime spot to be seated, you know? Um, and he didn't like even have his gross feet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yes, droid culture, like just seeing like that deep pull, become its own character, mourn his death, celebrate his rebirth twice in one season, once as like this, you know, awesome his body suit, armor shell. And then yeah. actually like as his own, you know, droid-like person again. It's just to, to guard the gentle people of whatever town, come on. And I think, you know, we always, we loved R2 and C-3PO, but and I think there was always a degree to which we felt like there was some anthropomorphizing happening and they didn't necessarily have the personalities we were ascribing to them. It was just movie magic. Yeah. But increasingly, yeah. like R5 does some stuff that really kind of canonizes the idea that and BB-8 did a little bit uh, in the previous films, but I feel like we are increasingly, and especially with being able to do it in a serial format, serialized, yeah, getting to see that like there's more going on with droids, and it's more than just being cute. I, I I agree with that, but I will push back a little bit, and I will say that we weren't reading much into it. I think it's pretty textually there that uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO were a very queer odd couple the feisty little you know combative one and the fussy prissy i mean it's kind of blatant you know it's um, super burt and ernie it's super burt and ernie so we see so many other movies that aren't uh that are just like they're lifeless husks don't worry about them and so the two main character droids have stories and plot and relationships because they're our main character droids but all the other droids that we see don't really get to have all of that so it's just like they're just robots um, seeing more and more of now we're getting personality sentience exactly but r2d2 and c3 are uniquely positioned and that they really go back to episode one right like anakin yeah. built c3 or d 2 you know so it's they, there's like a little magic to them. Like R2-D2 never really has had his memory wiped. C-3PO has had it wiped countless times over over the decades. It's it's great. So the first okay. queer couple we were all exposed. I was exposed to it. 
I I need to I need to ask some serious questions though about something that they've managed to do on Mandalorian over and over, which is even if he is the biggest deal in the world, Grogu manages to never be the main character, which is such a compliment to John Favreau, who John any age any size. Oh my God, the teddy bear I've always needed. I love you so much. You're so handsome. Oh my God. Um, but also. Uh, sorry, Nico Hornyton. So uh, I love that they use Grogu wisely. It's not an overpositioning of this commodifiable character, but rather a cautious hyperutilization, making sure that every moment of Grogu plays perfectly, like the yes, yes, no, no, that we can't stop referencing. I mean, he literally said, do Krang, but make it cute. And then the the balancing beam running is one of the most perfect bits of emotional puppetry I have ever experienced. I was frightened for a character. I knew they would never have the misdirection to kill off. And it was just such a wonderful execution of uh, the blending of this character can be major without having to be the only thing we have time for. Exactly. And then he pulls off a feat like the force field, you know, at the end. Like, yeah, Grogu, yeah, I, I totally agree. He's this wonderful character that could be completely overused and and grow tiresome, but they've done a very, very careful job of getting us to the right amount at the right times. And I, I'm sorry, like, if you consider yourself a Star Wars fan and you don't like Grogu, I just don't get it. You know, I just don't. Yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, you know, Every, you know, other... your mileage may vary, but I don't get it. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I also the the other thing that I was talking about earlier is I think being a puppet, uh, I, uh, you know, I don't. I think we are often a little bit too precious about that. Um, but this is an example of it. Really needed to feel like a lived body character yeah. a physical presence in the, the room yeah and just the motion just the like i am filming the movement of the eyes i'm not you know drawing the movement of the eyes i think it just that is the one extra detail in this like really brilliant writing and storytelling that's happening that really pulls the whole thing together and you know is just it's such a well done piece of animatronic puppetry. Uh, there's just so much to, to laud and applaud there. Yeah, which isn't to say that like it would have been impossible to do with CG, but I really appreciate that they are trying to get more into practical effects and even do better at blending the two yeah. with the new screen building. Yeah, the background LED. Yeah, I, I, I think it's so important to not just fall entirely into green screens and like you know really try couldn't agree more i've often felt like like mando from the very beginning is what i always wanted the prequels to be right yeah. and i love the prequels i love the prequels for you know i love them right and i love them now more maybe than i did then i love them then but it just kind of i've, I've grown to appreciate them more at the time uh but Mando is what I always wanted because it, it really takes place in that world that is so clearly articulated in the first trilogy, right? It's 
it, we're in that same, there's that same kind of dated, futuristic, yet, you know, it's kind of steampunk, it's kind of, it's just magnificent. This, it's hard to believe sometimes that this is a show and not a movie. Like, I, I was watching just, the, I was re-watching it today, and Mando fighting the Praetorian guards, like, yeah, it's a great scene, and just the you know yeah. the, the the weapons, the the magna, you know, electro staffs, like that goes back to freaking episode three, you know, like it's just it's so good, and it's such a gift. And I, I was thinking about it earlier as far as the few times that like a show has that kind of quality where you can accept that it's part of the bigger canon, and I think that's really it's kind of something relatively new. And I want to give a lot of props to Disney Plus for it because, I, you know, uh, WandaVision, uh, Captain, uh, whatever, um, Winter Soldier, and Anthony Mackie training yeah, shirt. Yeah. Like, all of it. like, those are stories where it feels like, oh, wow, you know, this is part of the, the larger MCU. And I think Mando really, and now Ahsoka coming up, and all these other great projects coming up. Uh, are really giving that opportunity to Star Wars in a really fresh way. I was saying earlier that back in the day, for years, when uh, people our age were asking for sequels to Star Wars, this is what we were talking about. This period directly after uh, Return of the Jedi ended. That's what we actually wanted to know Where what was happening. Where all the brain started to cultivate the idea. Yeah, we wanted to yeah. know what exactly did Luke do after they finished that last battle. How was it for Leia and Han when they got married? We wanted to know what the immediate aftermath was. I'm like imagining. Can you, like, it's like saying, like, wow, the end of this movie is they've planted a farm. Do you know what the sequel should be? The origin of the dirt. And like, that's like kind of what the prequels were. Yeah. The origin of dirt. And like, I love things about it, but I can't do the prequels in good costumes. But then the sequel films were, what if everybody was miserable 20 years after they started the farm? And I X-Men just- X-Men had a profound impact on many filmmakers. Yeah. In terms um, how the, the, the people who are here to impress Nice, good farmers still exist 20 years later. And are making things Farm. even worse in new and different ways. Farm didn't work out the way you thought it was going to. And so that's a lot to come back Forced to. subsidies, ethanol tax. So to get this moment back, uh, to take that time to explore what happened right after Return of the Jedi, and aesthetically to have it really look like it honors uh, what we would see in those films. I think it just, it works so beautifully. I have to pause us for one second. I just saw that the most wonderful fan, Ali Galactic is Hi. here. Hi. And uh, we're doing such an unusual stream. We're at the oh, Asbury Park Empress Hotel. Uh, producer extraordinaire, Kevo is not in his booth. Uh, the two of us aren't on our, let me look perfectly at the camera. Uh, games, so uh, it's it's a little unusual, but we're having such a blast talking about Star Wars. Um, you know, Hi, Ali. I, can I, uh, real quick, shout out to Ali. I, I gotta uh, share something with you guys. Lately, I've had the pleasure of kind of retreading Star Wars ground. Uh, if you're following me on Twitter, you've probably noticed a huge uptick in my in my Star Wars commentary, and that's what it I love. Star Wars. Invite. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're all there with you. <laughs> 
it's something that like comes in and out of my life and at different points and like i've read a lot of the now expanded universe books and it's it's just like a fun universe to return to uh and i'm re-walking this ground because i'm taking my boyfriend through it and i've had the unique privilege to be in this perspective where like they're watching like we just finished episode six today right so we've done the the original and the and the over the prequels and the original now and watching it with with folks that like in episode one they weren't clear on palpatine at like the chancellor being the emperor right like right. i saw that be a surprise like it was just watching that scene like oh my god anakin is is Darth vader just a true like gift and today talking star wars ali came up and i was telling them about what a wonderful person you are and how i adore you and how we've been twitter friends for a few years and uh and have excellent taste in so many of my fandoms so i love you ali so Turo, I gotta ask, are you gonna show your boyfriends Mando now, or are you gonna show them the prequels first? Or sorry, the sequels. See, so that's the thing, is like, I, I'm very tempted to take them directly to like, like we could watch Obi-Wan, oh, we could watch Mandalorian, so like we could kind of do that, and I think that would be wonderful. Um, Selena as titties is also rewatching Star Wars though, like just in a weird, you know, <laughs> echo of the titties. universe. God love her. Shout out to Selena as titties, lucky yeah. bitch. Um, yeah, anytime you want to be on Selena, we know you're watching right now. I hope yeah. that she does her Twilight dangles as her breasts, oh, and it's gosh. just like, oh my god, Selena as titties wearing her wedding cake quinceanera dress on Naboo. Let's make it happen. Um, but she is. She's outpacing us in the rewatch, and she has begun to spoil a few things. No tea, no shade. Love you, Queen. Um, so I think because of that, we may have to watch the sequels. Um, you know, the the mixed blessing and joy that they are. The only yeah. reason I ask right. is because I'm really curious to see somebody have that experience of getting to see what I was saying—the immediate aftermath of uh, what happens after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I, and it just, it's like we're in a fun zone right now, so it's kind of like I would like them to kind of like live that little experience right now. Yeah. Um, it's cute. They're even watching the Clone Wars animated series, like in between nice. stuff, which I thought was going to be a really hard sell, you know? I mean, animation often is, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was only a couple of episodes and those motherfuckers are hooked. Um, so it's it's really fun watching rewatching Star Wars through fresh eyes is a is a fun experience if you get the opportunity to, to so, be somebody's Star Wars tour guide. I I actually got uh, Alisson. I actually got uh, that's an actual George Lucas quote. So I'll tell my funny story in a second, but to tell a different funny story, when they were putting Allison Janney in as the new Star Tours host in Disney World and Disneyland. Uh, they realized that they had done everything but name the Drone character, character that and she would be playing. So one of the Imagineers turns to George Lucas and says, okay, but what's her name? And he just goes, George takes three seconds and goes, um, um, who's playing her again? Allison Jenny? Ali Sansan. And that's it. He's done. And that's how he does writing. Thank so, you, um, you know, one of the things that's really been on my mind with Star Wars lately is the sense of family and community that Star Wars defines 
also includes the idea of social interaction that I think is really beautifully illustrated, Arturo, by what you just said about your relationship with you and Ali and so many of us that have many relationships like that. I sort of imagine uh, at their peak, the Jedi were just sort of coming and going and everybody knew each other in that way that Bendis was like Jessica Jones could have slipped through the cracks. I uh, feel like one of the things that the Star Wars universe has become is something so varied and diverse that you can have your own section of it that you're interested in and not in the other parts. You were asking me earlier, TK, if I would be interested in adding Wheel of Time, in adding programming like um, Rings of Power. And I said probably not right now because I feel like that kind of opens up a really big world we have to start covering. But something like Star Wars or the Cosmere or the Marvel Universe are so holistically self-complete, it feels like Star Wars has officially become something where there's room for 10 different versions of the same fandom. Mm -hmm. I think Star Wars especially is the closest thing to Marvel that is doing something totally different insofar as there are so many possibilities for where you can tell stories and what kind of stories you can tell, yet still have them be connected to a central core wherein your fandom and your audience has a lot of personal curatorial ability to say, I'm interested in, in these stories. Like, I still have not watched Obi-Wan. Um, oh, it's so good. And I'm very excited to, but, like, you know, I feel fine that I haven't yet. I'm not sitting there going, I feel like I'm missing missing some huge part of the picture. And similarly, like, there's a bunch of Marvel books right now that I'm not reading, and I feel like most of the stuff I will get to in time, some of it I will simply choose not to, but I know that I have the tools to curate my own experience and that everybody else does as well. And Star Wars, I mean, kind of uh, almost more than Marvel now because Star Wars is firmly broken into comic books, yeah. uh, having been broken into film and, and, and shows where, you know, Marvel, I think, well, they're, they've now pretty much broken into shows, but uh, I think they're still figuring out what that means for them long term in a different way than Star Wars is. I do have to say, as someone who's normally like the biggest advocate and supporter of, you don't need to watch every piece of most of these things, especially like Star Wars. They try to work really hard to make every project accessible in its own way, where it can draw in a new audience and it doesn't have to worry about too much being too alienating and if there are things they include references or flashbacks i'm really nervous about ahsoka though because we did not we have not watched a lick of star wars rebels so <gasps> oh um, my god yeah, i am here to hit the brakes on that uh, intervention 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 we got stuff to do we want this guys, thing dude this do you know how much done. time this program dude. takes well so i have i have a solution for you i have a solution for you we can talk offline about it but i'm ready for us to spearhead a uh rebels rewatch segment of this show because it is such high quality like if you're a fan of, of the clone wars anime series in any capacity in so many ways this is inherits and and brings so many of those things 
back in its own way, but moreover, it's just a whole new crop of characters that kind of follow the original formula where you get a pilot, uh, you know, a, a, uh, a surviving Jedi, a the young ingenue who's force sensitive, like it has all of these, the feisty droid, like it's, it is, it is fantastic. And last thing I will say for plugging Rebels, I can't think of a show that has done this better that in the span of however many seasons it is, and there's not that many, um, the way the characters grow and evolve and change, you do not have the same characters from season one uh, at the end. And um, yeah, y'all, let's do a rewatch. It is 5,000% worth the time. I have to assume that the intention of Ahsoka is like with all these other projects, it is to be sort of a reboot of the concept, a reintroduction of the concept. Um, I, th I think it's not even to be a reboot of the concept, but it is to be its own show that you will not feel like I'm really missing out having not watched Rebels, but rather you will feel like I am now compelled to go back and empowered to go back and fill in some additional detail from the show that was perfectly fine on its own and that I absolutely loved, but motivates me to know more about this character and discover... Uh, you know, to get to see scenes from the rich background that they are describing is their lives on the show. So I'm not saying don't watch it, uh, no, don't but I'm saying it. I think if it ended up that you were didn't have the time to or weren't able to before Ahsoka came out, that I, I mean, might be a okay. You'd be a okay. And I just I feel like that's what Star Wars has done so yeah. well in this era that I I'm now saying like I I feel confident about You're entering this. your understandable era. <laughs> I'm entering my incompletionist era where, yeah, it's true. You don't have to see every single thing. That's the beauty of Star Wars. It's like the more you see, the more you read, the more you, you know, get into it, like the more you're... What happened? Are we on delay? What happened? Oh, my God, Taryn. Sorry. That's, uh, Taryn, that's uh, true. Comic book artist extraordinaire Taryn and Gleema, uh just dropped in the chat to say a joke that he knew would kill me. Good job. So it's sorry. true though. We're gonna get we're gonna get some wonderful characters. We're gonna get uh we're gonna get Sabine. Like yeah, like that's huge. Again, going back to Clone Wars and Bo Katan, like like just the genealogy of of Sabine, um, Greece. Spoiler alert. That's her last name, guys. Like yeah. she's part of that clan, that family. It's that kind of party. And uh, so cool and so crazy seeing all these things translated from the animation one of the things that we were saying over dinner was that like it feels like half the time the look on katie sackoff's face is she can't believe that they're letting her do this like she expects any moment they're going to say <laughs> it's over punked. this was all a joke you don't get to play a bo-katan craze live action are you out of your mind she's like moving a little delicately Who's going to take this this energy shield from me? But one of the bravest, most unique and important choices in the history of franchise media to say, like, we give up. We had such a good run in animation and we can't afford to not make these characters live action anymore. Uh, put Rosario Dawson in makeup. We're doing an Ahsoka show. Go ahead. Do live action Mandalorians. Include all of the kid kidnapping. Yeah. Make 
flying in jetpacks look amazing. How did they? Oh, it's taken us so long, but we finally got here, guys. It be aware. Be we aware. Did. Your jetpack may not like you. Your jetpack might be a little bitch. It hates you. It wants to see you die. It's a cat. Yes. If yes, I, yes, yes. If I have one critique about the show, it is that it did not follow up on her being like, <laughs> your jetpack hates you. You need to trade with it. <laughs> jetpack likes Just immediately, he's perfect with that. They are best friends, but I never see it smile. No, I mean, it's like, it's almost like a symbiote. I expect it to be a little feisty. A little feisty. Yeah. A little, little, little... pushback. Yeah. It needs a voice like Saba from Power Rangers. Yes. Um, Okay. Okay. Yes, right. yes, Mandalorian. Yes, yes, because this yes. is okay. This was so much fun. Yes. Uh, I'm obsessed with this. I can't wait till you come back for things like Transformers and more Star Wars. Um, but to focus on this Star Wars for a moment. On this Star um, War. This Star War. This One particular more. Star War. This War. Uh, I was uh, devastated to see that we have entered our crushed Darksaber era. <laughs> and. Um, what I'd really hoped was that at the end of the episode, Bo-Katan Kreese was going to walk up to the armorer and go, Armorer, I saved this for you. And the armorer was going to be like, oh, that's a kyber crystal. Wow. Interesting. And like try and scoop it up with the little armor pieces and get sent home in the first week. Like Irene. <laughs> um, not Irene Dubois. <laughs> um, stay tuned for the season five finale when Grogu uses that hyper crystal to construct his life. Exactly. Because yeah. never forget, Yoda in his in his prime was spry and a yeah. badass oh, yeah. with a lightsaber. So that's my favorite Grogu part of the prequel. Bright future, and it was um, the most unexpected thing when he just. Pulls it out and starts whooping ass and spinning around all over the place. It was like, oh my god! Like that little doddering puppet is now this amazing ball of stone cold killer. Stone cold killer. I I genuinely assume half the reason they had Moff Gideon crush it is the live action design of that dark saber. I don't think came out the way they wanted to. See, I liked it. I just feel like it looks a little bit too um, Armin Decker. Like, I, 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 a little too Dunky Donuts. I, 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 I kind of agree with that. Like, I, I would love it to just be like a really deep purple, just lightsaber. It has that weird, like, casing. I just, I'm with you. I, for some reason, it was it just, it. but it, shout it, out it to works Disney for me. Like, the for idea that selling, it's like bright black. Shout out to Disney for selling a ton of merchandise. Uh, lightsaber replica. I just recently saw a, Dark Saber uh, bedroom lamp, and then Ooh, ending the that. finale with crushing it. <laughs> like, yep. God love Disney. They know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, and The Mandalorian is one of those shows that loves to do, like, you haven't seen the last of this thing yet. I think, you know, we probably haven't seen the last of Moff Gideon's face, whether it's the original dude that's all burned up or it's a clone or whatever. I think, you know, that we saw the Dark Saber crushed and not like thrown off the cliff at the end or something. I suspect yeah. you know some of the theories we've heard here. There's a lot of possibilities, but uh, I. What do you got this time? What do you got this time? I'm sorry, but wait, hear me out. So, if uh, a drag queen named Mandy Lorian ever got sent to lip sync for her life, 
Brie would be like, um, take the helmet off. And she would be <laughs> like, I'd like to keep the helmet on, please. And it would just be... And then Republic go, this is the way. And she'd be like, no, it's my religion. And <laughs> well, Do you have the armor at the at the judges' table going, like, if you take it off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've just created a whole new television show that I think is going to change things even more. Oh, God. Welcome to the expanded uh, universe. <laughs> Jeffrey Bowers, shut up and call me. So, um, that fucking rancor. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, Mythosaur Challenge is my favorite, favorite week. Um, anyway, Arturo, it has been uh, an honor, a blessing, and a privilege to have you with us. It has been like, what uh, an unbelievable time to have. Uh, Please give us your partingest thoughts on Mandalorian, where everybody can find your handsome face on the internet. And uh, please know we cannot wait to have you back for more amazing programming here on Exes for Show. Thank you. It's been a privilege and an honor to be here. I adore you guys. Um, this is the way, and this has been a fucking blast. So thank you so much. Um, can't wait to see what happens. Uh, all hail Darth Gideon whenever he rises from the ashes. Um, and yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, catch me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Toy Box. And see you for our special Rebels coverage. TBD <laughs> on the release date on that, but stay tuned. Well, as David Yo said, until uh, we catch these hands next time, I can't <laughs> let that go. I'm so angry all weekend. I don't blame you. We think you're amazing, Arturo. We will see you soon. Thank you. See you guys. Oh, so I have to look at my schedule to get this right because, uh, you know, with our, our changing show stuff, uh, there's some stuff I just don't have as memorized the way I used to. So uh, I want to give you guys just a little bit of uh, spring cleaning-ish stuff. Oh, I can't read this. This is what are you looking for? You're uh, looking for the schedule. What's for next, next week? week? Saturday. We are going to be doing a oh the Tony's party. party. Oh, sorry. You are such a horse's ass. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but he's our horse's ass. Tony's party. Tony's <laughs> party. <laughs> You play this, the box of scraps. It's this guy named Tony, and he's having a party. So we will be broadcasting uh, from there. As usual, with what we are doing right now with Exes for Show, we are going to be bringing you something fun and unique next week, uh, which is going to be us discussing the Tony nominations. Uh, and we will be bringing in somebody who knows infinitely more than anybody I've ever met about this stuff. It's Tony nominations. <laughs> He lives down the street. No, no, it's she. She's a drag queen. It's Tony with an I. Right. It's Tony nomination. It's Irene. Uh, it's Irene. <laughs> She's here to pick up her award for uh, fastest person sent home. And um, so we're going to be doing uh, every show eligible for the nominations party. Super excited. There's not as many as you think, but we're going to talk about all of them. Uh, from there, we are going to on Sunday say goodbye to the sins of sinister that's right sins of sinister uh we are at the end of you and there's nothing else i'd rather do than say goodbye to you uh it's been a fun ride but all events need to come to an end please so guys this this is our first ever hotel room 
uh, live stream from the Jersey Shore. It was a blast. I, I really think we nailed it. You know, the problem is like the actual thing is like a bunch of us do record from the Jersey Shore kind of natively. So this it's just more like a little bit on the beach uh, today in a hotel. Yeah, I wish I could show you guys how gorgeous it is out here. It's it's unbelievable. But uh, live from the Empress Hotel at Asbury Park, uh, we are X's for show. Hey guys, where can everybody where can everybody find you here on? <laughs> oh my God, where can everybody find you here, uh, uh, Capo? <laughs> oh, I go first. Keep yourself alive. <laughs> Uh, well, you can find me on tweeters and grammars at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, technically I'm on the other ones, but I just don't know. But always it's X Nate, X Gray, X. And Nico, where can we find you? Thanks for asking. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram, where Elon Musk is so afraid of me, he won't give me a blue check mark because he knows I will write such a scathing review of it. Uh, I will tear that check mark to pieces uh, at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Uh, you can find me on all social media. They're not just uh, on the 29 person blue check mark machine. Uh, and until next time, when we cover the Tonys, I'm really sorry for snatching that from you. I guess that was the real snatch yeah, game. That, that was the um, real snatch game. Uh, Kanye, let me try this. Keep those galactic lights lit. I love this. Those New Republic gateways open. Hyperspace gateways Hyperspace open. gateways open. Ooh, hyperspace lights. Or those transporters. Those transporters? Okay. Keep them clear of those awful DNA codes. Remember, the Kessel Run... It's as long as you make it. The real Kessel Run is in your heart. The real Kessel Run is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. And we'll see you. Goodbye. <laughs>